Hi, I'm Debbie George S. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the quid pro quo is not impeachable. Impeachment, Vindman, Graham, and McConnell, great stories in all of them. Polls, impeachment bad, America first, good. Ilhan Omar refuses to condemn the Armenian genocide, and I'll tell you why. And finally, I have a guest in the studio, Dr. Yvette Lozano, joining me to talk about Medicare choices. And finally, of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk. There was a great interview on today's First Five. I want to tell you about it. It was Representative Dan Crenshaw, a Texas member of the U.S. House Republican, who basically made the point in an interview, and I want to expand that, because I've been saying this at home and I hadn't said it on air. We need to stop agreeing with the left-wing narrative that if somehow through a series of witnesses or putting together uh, speculation, even if the Democrats can say they can show that President Trump somehow engaged in a quid pro quo with the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, that somehow that is an impeachable offense. Dan Crenshaw was challenging two things, and he's right about both of them. Number one, we condition aid all the time on all sorts of requirements. For example, I remember years ago, our America, our decision in America to condition aid to Africa, basically saying, if we give you this money, you have to use it to build wells in rural areas that lack water, or you have to use it for this reason or that reason. We're allowed to do that. For President Trump to say, I want you to get to the bottom of what Joe Biden and the Democrats pulled off in the, with respect to the Ukraine and the deal with Biden's son, sitting the border of Burisma, it is not necessarily a problem at all. In fact, it's a normal thing to do. And second, secondly, the impeachment standard in the Constitution, it is intentionally vague. I guess our founders meant it that way in a way, but the impeachment standard in Article 2, Section 4, I know we've talked about it before, to be very clear, is the president or the vice president all civil officers of the U.S. shall be removed from office on impeachment for, and that's what happens in the House, and conviction of, happens in the Senate, of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. The idea that President Trump may have, even if he did put pressure on President Zelensky, who, by the way, says he didn't put pressure on him, but even if the House wants to decide, despite what Zelensky says, that there was some pressure with respect to American aid, that is not necessarily an impeachable offense. We need to be very careful not to surrender to the left-wing Democrat media mob narrative that says that they can prove anything that hints at this having been an actual quid pro quo, game over, we surrender President Trump. We cannot go with that. We cannot agree to that. I am going to link on our website, americacanwetalk.org, to the interview with Representative Dan Crenshaw. But it's a really good point. And to wrap up today's first five, we cannot agree, cannot agree that just because the Democrats claim a quid pro quo occurred, that that is a sufficient basis for impeachment. This is a very serious, serious time in America, a very serious effort for the Democrat Party, who's been committed to taking out President Trump since the moment he won the election, even before he was sworn in. This is just their latest excuse, their latest attempt to do it, and surrendering the seriousness, the majesty of our Constitution to a political witch hunt, and I think Trump was right to call it a lynch mob, surrendering to that truly is a unjust, not just unjustified, it is an affront to the whole notion of our country's commitment to our constitutional structure. And that, my friends, is today's first five. I want to turn and talk about the um, what is happening. There are just quite a few developments on the impeachment effort. And I want to mention that these are, you know, there's so many things. We could, we could spend show after show after show with all sorts of detail about what's happening on the impeachment front. But I just want to mention a few of them. Number one, tomorrow, Thursday, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi is introducing her resolution in the House. She's not introducing a resolution to move forward with a formal impeachment investigation. She won't do that for the two reasons I've mentioned before. Number one, she does not want to force people who are Democrat members of the U.S. House 
to have to vote for it when they are from districts that support President Trump. And number two, if there's a formal inquiry process, a formal investigation, she and the Democrats would have to give President Trump due process. They'd have to agree, for example, he can cross-examine witnesses or his attorneys can cross-examine witnesses. They'd have to agree that he could call witnesses himself, that he, had the, he or his team had the power to subpoena documents. They want to deprive him of all due process rights in this witch hunt lynching. They want to make it impossible for him to even present a defense in the House. On a particular note, just to be clear about this, what's happening on this resolution, it was released to the public, just one little piece of this resolution. The actual House resolution that the Democrats are going to push through tomorrow specifically deprives Republicans of the power, the ability to issue subpoenas in this process. You have to understand, I, I know the term lynching was offensive to some people. I thought it captured exactly what this is. They want to be the accuser, the jury, the judge, and the executioner on President Trump with no basic acknowledgement of his rights, his due process rights, to question witnesses. So get just that little piece straight. They want to hold an impeachment inquiry and not even allow Republicans to subpoena Witnesses. Second point that happened just in the last couple, last day, Representative Scalise, you may recall his name, Steve Scalise. I think he's the ranking member. Um, he's a Republican member of Congress. He burst out of a, after a, a hearing, which is not really a hearing, it's one of those secret held in the basement people aren't allowed to come to, the non-transparent process being conducted by the House Intelligence Committee, uh, chaired by Adam Schiff. Scalise left that meeting and came out and said to the press, and then later tweeted about it, that when Republicans in this hearing wanted, it was their turn to pose questions of this star witness, we'll talk about in just a moment, talk about him, but Schiff said that the Republicans were not allowed to ask those questions, essentially directed the witness to say, you don't have to answer those questions for Republicans. Schiff is basically saying we can ramrod this, whatever word you want to use, railroad President Trump, we can call witnesses up here, we can hear their testimony, and the Republicans cannot even ask questions. This is, folks, this is so far beyond the pale, so far out of line, and we can't in this country, whether you love President Trump, hate President Trump, have no opinion about President Trump, it's the process that is despicable, cannot be uh, permitted to continue. On the particular witness I wanted to mention who was there yesterday, uh, this has gotten a lot of press about it. I just want to mention a few things about this uh, gentleman. Uh, he, his name is Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, V-I-N-D-M-A-N. He's actually, he was born in the Ukraine. He is American. He speaks fluent Ukrainian. He is an American who's in the military. He won a Purple Heart. He's an actual patriot. He served in the military, you know, so you got to give him credit for that. So Vindman is a member of the National Security Council. He was called before the super secret meeting with the public cannot be allowed to watch and Republicans cannot ask questions to testify before the House Intelligence Committee. Vindman basically said he was in the Situation Room during the call between Trump and Zelensky and so he actually heard the call and felt troubled afterwards that his perception of the call was that maybe people in the Ukraine would feel arm twisted a bit by President Trump. That wasn't his word. But the point is the Democrats have come up with a witness now who is saying, I heard the call and I was uncomfortable with the impression it left that maybe this was kind of a quid pro quo. So Vindman's there to validate the Democrats' whole basis for impeachment to say actually, and I wanna just read you some of the language, his language, what he said about it. Because he, one more thing about how this whole process is so cooked up before I get to what he said. So Vindman, all this super secret process, no one's allowed to hear anything, no one's allowed to read anything, no one's allowed to ask questions, but somehow the New York Times got a hold uh, and announced they had a copy of Vindman's um, statement, his, uh, you know, his formal written statement turned into the House Intelligence Committee. Now, the public doesn't get it, but, but that got released to the New York Times and they ran with it. And so they're basically saying, you know, he said, this is what Vindman had to say. This is, I'm just telling you, the whole process is cooked up between the Democrats and the media. But here's what Vindman had to say. I'm a patriot. I'm going to say it's my sacred duty and honor, blah, blah. 
I did not think it was proper to demand that a foreign government investigate a U.S. citizen, and I was worried about the implications of the U.S. government's support of Ukraine. So to be clear, he's not saying it was a quid pro quo. He's not really adding anything new to what we already knew from what President Trump released when he released a transcript of the call. All we have that's new is a person who serves on the National Security Council being troubled by facts that we already knew, having perceived that as a quid pro quo. So Vindman, by the way, is a guy who has, as I say, he's Ukrainian. He's, he's had various involvement in our government. And to be fair, again, he served in the military. He won a Purple Heart. He also, though, testified that when he was concerned about this, what he overheard, he actually reported it to the general counsel for the National Security Council. The question, supposedly, that Schiff was trying to ask in the hearing where he was cut off, excuse me, I'm sorry, what Steve Scalise was trying to ask of Vindman during the hearing where Schiff cut him off was, who else have you told? Who else did you tell that you were so concerned? And that was a question Schiff would not let Vindman answer. The reason being, Vindman apparently, through many uh, you know, unknown, unnamed sources, told a lot of people. He talked about it. He, this is not a guy honorably doing his duty, stepping forward confidentially and talking to the National Security Council. This is a guy who's been telling people what he thought about this whole process and being apparently, allegedly, perhaps in violation of his uh, commitment to uh, to keep, be discreet in the National Security Council. He just can't go around blathering things. As a little interesting aside, one of the staff members on the National Security Legal Council team is Vindman's twin brother. So he told his brother and the team that he didn't like what President Trump said. So let me just say, benefit of the doubt, assume this guy Vindman has no acts to grind, no political bias, no bad motive. He just didn't like the tone of this call. We still haven't learned anything new than what, some, anything we didn't know already before. We've learned someone's perception, but the Democrats are kind of jumping up and down, acting like they sure got the upper hand now. But I want to go to other, um, there are other pieces of the uh, Vindman story that make people more and more nervous about him. I'll plant one more seed with you about him now. He worked for and served in the, uh, served in the United States uh, in the Ukraine. He actually said he was approached by the Ukrainian government to ask him how they should deal with Rudy Giuliani's questions to them. Now, you might think that's innocent. Say, well, okay, you know, he's Ukrainian, they're Ukrainian, they're comfortable with each other. It's not his job. It's not his job when he's over in the Ukraine representing America to help the Ukrainian government negotiate against the interests of the United States and Rudy Giuliani, who was there on behalf of the president. This is a guy who has maybe an agenda is too strong he certainly has a bias he was certainly willing to help help the ukrainian government understand how they could deal with and pretty much put down rudy giuliani this entire impeachment process began as you're about to hear from a statement i have a couple little clips to share with you hear from a statement that was actually made by um the otherwise not that impressive senator mitch mcconnell but this has been an effort a decision that the D Democrats made from the moment they learned that Hillary actually lost the election, we're going to find some way to get this guy. They had the Mueller investigation, they had the Russia hoax, they finally had the Mueller investigation after years and years and millions of dollars saying, you know what, there isn't a darn bit of evidence of this whole Russia-Trump collusion. Then they tried obstruction, obstruction fell on its face, and then they tried the whole, you know, um, had affairs and paid off people to be silent, and that didn't amount to anything impeachable. Nancy Pelosi has jumped on this because it is something she thinks she can make it sound to the American people, something kind of complex. Maybe people don't understand. Maybe they don't really have a sense of what's right and wrong in this context. Maybe people will just agree that the Democrat mission in this particular case is really protective of America because people don't feel sure about this area of law and kind of how whether Trump had the right to make those kind of statements. But I'm going to tell you something. Until you hear Nancy Pelosi and every Democrat in the entire Congress and Senate demand that Joe Biden drop out of the presidential race because he's on tape 
bragging bragging about his arm twisting of the Ukrainians and and explicitly telling them I'm going to withhold a billion dollars of US aid unless you fire this prosecutor who is looking into my son's company you have him on tape and you have yet every democrat in Washington somehow is on the mission to remove president Trump and crickets about what Biden did. And even to the point, not just crickets, some of them leaping to Biden's defense. Things like, well, no one even liked that prosecutor. A lot of people thought he was out of line. This is this would be, if you did this in a parody on Saturday Night Live or in a book, you'd think that's absurd. No one would be so audacious, so intentionally hypocritical to tell the American people every day, staring at the camera, this is a serious offense. And actually, Nancy Pelosi recently said, by the way, it isn't really just a conversation one day with Zelensky on the phone. It's actually a series of conversation and events that we're going to put together, all together constituting a quid pro quo. Even she's kind of acknowledging this whole thing with the phone isn't, isn't, isn't working. This conversation isn't enough. They're out to get the president, and they're trying to bring him down over something the entire country knows. Joe Biden, still the leading contender for the Democrat presidential nomination, admitted about and bragged about on an open microphone. We played the clip enough in the show. I won't play it again. But this, you cannot lose steam on this, people. I, I feel like there are so many Republicans who think, okay, we're in such turmoil in Washington. So much is happening. So much is being, uh, is, you know, we're in such a state of turmoil that maybe we just have to give in, let them impeach him and move on. We cannot do that. We cannot get there with that. And the reason is not just, as I say, because President Trump hasn't done anything wrong. It's because if we surrender the idea that the impeachment process can be used to simply remove a president who drives the other side nuts, who's accomplishing an agenda the left doesn't like, we have simply surrendered the constitutional protections we have in this country for electing our government, the democratic republic we have. Two last points on this story I want to hit. I have some clips I sent to the very wonderful Derek. He does have them. Yes, he's shaking his head, filling in for, the, uh, for Matt, who's on vacation. So, Derek, I first want to play. There was a clip, actually. I, I know I sent you several of them. I want to play the one that was uh, the first one of Senator Mitch McConnell. And this is Mitch McConnell. Uh, in. You can see uh, he's in the Senate chamber. He's in the, um, in the hallways in the Senate. Um, and to, to quick back up and tell you, Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham, who has somehow emerged with the backbone recently, came up with a resolution about a week ago that essentially said to the House, we, the senators, denounce this impeachment inquiry process. It's out of line. You shouldn't be doing this. So in this, this uh, press conference, Senator McConnell was asked, well, how can you possibly consider yourself unbiased? How can you possibly sit in judgment on a jury uh, if it gets to the Senate, if the House impeaches gets to the Senate, since you signed on that resolution? This is, uh, again, uh, for Derek. Wonderful clip two. You signed on to Lindsey Graham's resolution about the House impeachment process. You talked about how we're going to have, respectively, an impeachment trial here, and we'll be seating, uh, sitting as jurors. How could you be perceived as being a fair jurist if you've signed on to that resolution condemning the House impeachment process? Yeah, the resolution is about due process, and it was critical, at least at that moment. We'll see what the House comes up with later today, about the way they were going to handle the case. Didn't deal with the merits, dealt with the process. So I will give Senator McConnell, at least he had a good answer. He came right up with it and said, oh, that was about process. We don't like your process. Now I want to go to Senator Lindsey Graham. This is clip one. Senator Lindsey Graham, who I was extremely unimpressed with during the presidential campaign or pretty much his whole career, he somehow emerged as a stronger leader. He came up with a resolution. Here's a clip of Lindsey Graham talking about President Trump and the impeachment process. I have introduced a resolution today with Senator McConnell. And the purpose of the resolution is to let the House know that the process you're engaging in regarding the attempted impeachment of uh, President Trump is out of bounds. It's inconsistent with due process as we know it. It's a star chamber type inquiry, and it's a substantial deviation from what the House has done in the past regarding impeachment of other presidents. Okay, this is pretty good. This is Lindsey Graham 
actually saying, you know, being pretty strong, saying this process is flawed and we're going to point it out. Uh, back to McConnell for a moment. He was asked a little bit after that, well, you know, who are you to advise Nancy Pelosi? You know, pretty much why isn't the Senate mind their own business? To which he said, we go back and forth all the time. You know, they give us advice. We give them. Well, please spare me. It's pretty strong on that. But then I want to go back to McConnell now, and this is clip three. He's asked essentially about how can you possibly be unbiased? And here we have McConnell, one last clip. Well, look, impeachment as a practical matter is whatever a majority of the House decides it is at any given moment. Uh, and it appears that the Democrats, uh, emboldened by the new majority they've had this year, have been on this path for three years. The first headline I saw, in the, I think it was in the Washington Post, before the president was sworn in, was that uh, the impeachment process is beginning. So this is just further evidence that this is what they had in mind from the very beginning. So McConnell at least had the clarity to say the Democrats have been talking impeachment since prior to the time President Trump was even sworn in. However, the opening statement in that clip the House impeachment process is whatever the House says it is? No, actually. This is not, these are not the words, they're not the voice of a leader, of a person who's willing to say, who lives in Washington, who sees what the Democrats are doing, who sees what happened to President Trump and the whole Trump-Russia collusion. It was a very weak need. Well, it's whatever the House says. We need more leaders in the GOP, in the House, in the Senate, denouncing not just the procedure, which is bad enough, denying someone due process, but the very substance of the accusations against him. Contrasted with Lindsey Graham, I didn't catch a clip on him, but Lindsey Graham wrapped up a press conference the other day with the statement, there will not be one vote in among the Senate Republicans to remove President Trump because he did nothing wrong. These are the kind of statements we need from Republicans in the House, in the Senate, pretty much saying we're not going to play this game with the Democrats anymore. We're going to stand up. When Mitch McConnell stands here and says, well, impeachment's whatever the House says it is, maybe procedurally that's true, but it is incumbent on people like him to call out the Democrats for engaging in an impeachment process on a frivolous, not unserious accusation, on a clearly just hip hypocritical calculation that President Trump should be removed for doing for being accused of doing what Joe Biden did and is, you know, beyond reproach, not to be questioned, not to be condemned. We need people in Washington pointing that out. When people like Mitch McConnell, he needs to up his game on that. I'll turn to two other quick uh, uh, polls. I want to quick tell you some polls that I got to tell you, 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 we've talked about so often this impeachment process and how Nancy Pelosi had said, you know, long time after President Trump became president, Nancy Pelosi was consistently saying, I don't think we're ready for impeachment. I don't think we should do this. I don't think impeachment is the answer. I think we should wait till she kept putting it off. Even after the Democrats had the majority after the 2018 midterms, she kept saying not a good idea. Not, 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 not. She's been up there a long time. She's been in Congress, I think it's 150 years. I don't know what it is, but it's a really long time. She's been there a long time. She sees what happened. She saw what happened when impeachment and how it hurt the Republicans when they went after Clinton, even though it didn't hurt them that much. But still, she recognizes America is not with them on this impeachment. She has been arm twisted by the radical wing of her party, by even Texas Representative Al Green, who has been calling for impeachment over and over on ridiculous grounds. But she finally got arm twisted by the radicals in her party to go ahead on this particular accusation about the Trump Zelensky quid pro quo. I think she's completely aware. She's politically savvy enough to recognize this is dangerous. This is unwise. This is not going to go well. But she could not shut down the radical wing of her party. And she got afraid about how many Americans were out there. Democrat voters who've been told since the moment Trump won, don't worry, somehow we'll impeach him. She played that back and forth in her mind, the idea how many voters do we lose? If she, to begin, she's not serious about thinking Trump committed an impeachable offense. She's perfectly aware he did not. She's trying to calculate 
how much do we, the Democrats, lose if we don't try to impeach him versus how much damage to our party if we do? Well, some polls that came out recently might give her some answers. Uh, number one, I love this poll. There was a big poll of actual voters, actual registered voters, asking him essentially, what do you think about these following things? Okay, what percent of Americans do you think support the idea of the America First agenda? You know, President Trump, America First, that's his thing. What percent of Americans? 70% love. They're believers in the America First idea. Socialist, 19%. So voters, actual voters polled. And there are a whole bunch of other things they asked them about. You know, proud to be American, 89%. Tired of the circus of politics, 87%. This is a poll that's going to keep Nancy Pelosi awake at night because the truth is whether people do or don't like President Trump's personality, if they find him too brash or or whatever they dislike about his demeanor, his presentation, the American people love his agenda. They want a strong America. They want strong borders. They want to have a strong military. They want trade policy that actually benefits the American workers and the American people. People love the Trump agenda. That's one poll. The other one, so interesting, and I want to, I know it's a little bit hard to follow numbers when someone's just talking, so I'm going to give you very crisp, clear things. This was a large poll of actual registered voters. They were asked, essentially, three choices on impeachment. One, the House of Representatives should vote to impeach President Trump. Two, or second choice, the House should continue investigating Trump, but not vote to impeach him. So it's impeach, investigate the third choice. Congress should drop its investigations into President Trump and the administration. Third choice, drop this stuff. So the Republicans and the Democrats came out pretty much like you'd expect. You know, Republicans want it dropped. Democrats want it pursued. You know, they broke this down by race and gender. I want to just mention the independent vote and have you think about Another thing, keeping Nancy Pelosi awake at night. Among independents, 22% only, 22% of, of independents voted, said they favored an impeachment vote. So not even a quarter of independents want the impeachment vote. 34% said, well, go ahead and continue investigating. And 36% of independents said, would you please drop it? So even the independents are not behind what the Democrats are doing. Folks, I'm telling you, President Trump has brought radical change to this country. He is draining the swamp. He is moving America forward. He is moving to protect our borders. He's tackling hard issues that the Republican Party has not tackled in decades. He is shifting our trade policy so that we trade in ways that make sense for America. President Trump is bringing America back on track, and the American people know it and they like it. They do not want him removed, especially over something so ridiculous as this. So ridiculous, so non-issue, so non-impeachable as what the Democrats are going after. Last quick story before I turn to our guest is this. Representative Ilhan Omar, of whom we've spoken many times on this show, she is the Democrat representative uh, from the state of Minnesota. She is Somalian by birth. She's a Muslim member of Congress. We've talked about her many times, made many, many anti-Semitic statements. And and she's uh, very pro-Islam, of course. She's Muslim. But there was a vote in Congress yesterday. There was a vote to condemn the Armenian Genocide. And just in case you don't know what that involves, I'm going to tell you this in a nutshell, but it's a really, really big open window on Ilhan Omar's thinking. The Armenian Genocide refers to the, it was during the Ottoman Empire, and it was the slaughter of 1.5 million Armenians between 1915 and 1923. This is Turkish forces, Ottoman forces, killing Armenians, 1.5 million between 1915 and 1923. The reason that Ilhan Omar will not denounce this is because what that really was, what the Armenian genocide was, was just the jihad, the Islamic jihad of that day. The Ottoman Empire, people use that term and they think it means something kind of, you know, it's just an ethnic group or it's an era of history. At the time Islam was founded, Muhammad said and taught 
and engaged in the idea that the purpose of Islam is to force the rest of the world into submission to Islam, to the worship of Allah, to the following Islamic law called Sharia under one caliphate. Muhammad led his forces at the time of his life for 1400 years since the founding of Islam. Islamic Jihad for the purpose of forcing the world into submission to Islam has been standard operating procedure. The Ottoman Empire was simply the era at the event at that time, it was the Islamic rule over that part of the world given the name Ottoman Empire, which has a somehow a more noble sounding purpose, it was just Islamic Jihad. The Armenian Genocide was just another example, another episode of Islamic Jihad, murder of people who do not wish to convert to Islam. This is why Representative Ilhan Omar would not condemn it. She put a statement out about why she wouldn't condemn it. And, um, you know, I got to tell you, I want to get to our guests. I'm just going to summarize it by saying it made no sense at all. She said she, Ilhan Omar, could not condemn this Armenian genocide until we begin in America, you know, condemning the uh, slaughter of the Native Americans when, when we had, when people arrived on our shores. Obviously, you know, if I were giving this speech in person, I'd say, raise your hand if you actually think there's never been any discussion or denouncement of the the uh, interaction between the Puritans, the pilgrims, the, the colonists coming to America, and the impact on Native Americans. There has been endless discussion, education, talk about it, apology for it. But she tried to point to that saying, until we apologize for that, okay, we have already apologized for that. What we haven't had is an honest answer from her as to why she will not denounce the Armenian genocide. And the reason is, is because it was just another example of Islamic Jihad. Now, we finally get to turn to my guest who's in the studio today, very patiently and quietly sitting. She's a very, a very good friend, a longtime friend, and she's also a doctor, a medical doctor, Dr. Yvette Lozano. She's here in studio, and we're going to talk about two things about Medicare, or maybe more. But she is a, uh, you know, she's a practicing physician and also a political activist, outspoken, well-informed. And the reason I wanted to have her in, just a little reason was, between October 15th and December 7th or something, we, is your Medicare open enrollment period. Yes. Okay. Very so, important. Okay. So we're, we're going to talk about kind of not just the choices available, but the politics behind it. So Yvette, welcome to the studio. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. So glad you are here. Tell us a little bit about, you know, I just, I, I'm not quite where I, I'm looking at these choices yet, but um, in Medicare, between this date coming up, we have some choices or some Americans have choices. Tell me what the, what the reason is it's so important for people to focus on this Medicare uh, choice time. Do you know, actually, that is such a great question because the problem is that we will be making uh, decisions and we will be asking about choices in Medicare, and nobody tells us. Uh, the only thing that we hear is a propaganda from those that want us to sign up for those particular Medicare plans. And that may not necessarily be the best thing for you as a patient. And so um, one of the things I wanted to mention just really quickly, Debbie, is I wanted to tell people just a little bit about Medicare. Medicare A is uh, the part of Medicare that you receive when you become 65 years old, and it covers all of the expenses that you have when you are actually in the hospital, when you are admitted to a hospital, a car accident, a cancer or heart attack, uh, stroke, um, those, those coverages are covered by Medicare A. Medicare B is the coverage that you will have when you go to a physician's clinic or when you are going to pay the physician for the services that are rendered. Um, one of the nice things about uh, Medicare B is that the government, after you turn 65 years of age, and this is most people, there are always exceptions through disabilities and so forth, but when you turn 65, Medicare B covers 80% of all of your clinic and doctor visits. So you are left with about a 20% copay. Um, what I will tell you that, you know, every doctor is different. The examples that I'm going to give you today are examples that I've experienced, my experiences with Medicare in the last 20 years that I've been a, a practicing physician uh, that accepts Medicare, is that a lot of times when patients come in, uh, doctors will simply have a copay, a $20, $30, $40 dollar copay. Um, very rarely will a doctor go after a patient that has not provided the actual 20% of that visit. Well, something interesting has happened. Obamacare came in, and when Obamacare came in, all of a sudden we lost a lot of our liberties and our freedoms on how we deal with our insurance. Well, the first thing that we did is used to be that when you 
became eligible for Medicare, you got it on that particular month. And if you wanted to change your policies, you could change your policy throughout the entire year. But now with Obamacare and those 1,700 pages that we're under, because it has not been overturned or completely revoked, there's only a very short window where you can actually make changes to your policy. So you have a lot of people that are out there looking for and trying to receive, you know, your uh, Medicare, uh, uh, what do you call it, your Medicare uh, privileges. And so one of the things that I've noticed is frequently when you're in the grocery line or you're in a department store, at the end of the checkout, you'll see people that are waving a flag to get you to sign up for Medicare Advantage. It is an advantage. Um, and this is how propaganda works. Propaganda works by naming things and calling things a certain, certain way so that you are, uh, you're wanting to get it. You, you, you are, you're going towards it. And again, this is propaganda. And, and we've seen this in some of the communist countries that myself included came from a communist country. And the first thing that the government Cuba. did was take over the healthcare system. Because if you take over the healthcare system, then you literally control the population. And so uh, with a lot of these programs, it's like, uh, like President Obama said, you know, try it and see how it works. Let's, let's pass it and see how it works. Well, if you sign up for a program and you are not well informed, you're stuck on that program for a whole year. And if you happen to be sick while you're on that program, there's no flexibility for you to really switch programs. In fact, in order to change from one Medicare program to another, you actually have to move out of the city that you're in to be able to find a loophole so that you can change your policy. So I've had a lot of people come in and say, well, I was told that you were on the program, Dr. Lozano, or I was told that you know this, this Advantage program is just like all these other programs. So we have traditional Medicare, which, which I recommend. This is the Medicare where you are covered 100% in the hospital and you are covered 80% uh, through Medicare B for your doctor visits in the clinics. If you sign up for some of these other programs that are, let's say, private, private uh, Medicare programs, then what happens is that organization goes to the government, goes to the federal government and says, I want to purchase, I want to purchase this patient for the year 2019-2020. And so the government gives that private institution an opportunity to take care of your health care for those 12 months. I got to jump in. Medicare Advantage is is a private entity essentially kind Not of affiliated at all with Medicare. So competing with the government or providing, That's right. right. What okay. they do is they, they walk up and they say, they, they literally, they purchase the patient. They take over the patient's care for a certain amount of monetary gain. And that, that contract is decided between the private entity, private insurance, like a Medicare Advantage program, an HMO or something like that. And then they take over that patient's care for the entire year, okay? So with Medicare, there's no limits to what you can spend or or where you can go. If you have traditional Medicare, you can go to any hospital, you can see any doctor, you can go in any state. But with some of these private programs, you know, you're really limited on how many doctors you can see. They don't normally have doctors in their network and they may be a small amount of doctors. There are certain hospitals that are not in their network. Now true, this you also see in private insurance like Blue Cross Blue Shield, Secure Horizons and things like that nature. But I think what happens is when patients sign on for Medicare Advantage, they're not aware that this isn't another you know, limb or another branch of the government of Medicare, traditional Medicare. And you know, the problem that doctors have with these programs is they'll take all of their patients and, and guide their patients into, let's say, a particular program, a Medicare Advantage program, and then realize, hey, you know, I'm getting kind of limited as to what I can do, what I can order, how often I can see the patient, what, what they will let me do, who you I can send them to. the doctor are limited, That's you're right. And the doctor will pull back. When he pulls back, his patients are stuck in the program. He, he's lost all of his patients. And so the, the important thing that we want to remember is that the patient wants to have full access to any physician that he wants to see, and he doesn't want any insurance program, be it, Medicare Advantage, uh, or any of the other insurance programs that we have, telling the patient where he can go and who he can't do. This is the problem with Obamacare. The reason with Obamacare failed was because the patient lost the ability to choose for himself. He wanted to keep his doctor. He wanted to keep his clinic. He wanted to keep his hospital. And none of that occurred. And so in a lot of the Medicare Advantage uh, programs, if you end up with an accident or an emergency in a hospital that is not covered by your Medicare Advantage plan, you are fully responsible for that entire bill. Whereas if you have traditional Medicare and you're traveling and all of a sudden you have an, a, an emergency and you have to go to that hospital, traditional Medicare covers every hospital uh, in the United States. Okay. What does Medicare Advantage claim when they're pitching it 
is the advantage of having them. So that is really interesting. You know, I've heard a lot of crazy things on what they claim, but some of the things they'll tell you is that they will include dental or they will include transportation or they will give you a membership to a gymnasium. Uh, you know, these are things that are they truly advantages? Are they truly things you're going to use? What they really, what really is an advantage for you is facilitating your visit with the doctor, not limiting what the doctor's going to do, not putting a cap on how much money you're going to be able to spend. And and uh, and in that case, these programs are not good. Now, I have had situations where I've had uh, advertisements of these type of programs on radio stations, and I've called into the radio station saying, "Hey, you're making this sound like it's really, really a good thing, but this really isn't so great." And the response that I've gotten is, "Well." you know this is an advertisement or we're on this tv station we're on this radio station but these people are this is paid advertising and what happens is these are very smart people they will channel the advertising to the locations where we are the most uh, weak. And so if you're used to listening to like, let's say your show, and they like everything that you say, they'll come in with the Medicare Advantage program and they will then have a commercial during this to entice your customers, your readers, your listeners, to sign on to Medicare Advantage, not knowing that they probably already have full coverage. I mean, 100% with Medicare A, and 80% with Medicare B. Do we even really need a secondary? So Yvette, let me ask you this, Dr. Lozano, let me ask you this. So if you had Medicare, traditional Medicare, and you wanted to purchase private insurance in addition to say, I want my dental or my vision or whatever things aren't covered, can you do that? purchase private insurance without endangering your traditional Medicare? So yes, um, absolutely. And, and that's very important. You can have traditional Medicare and have a supplement that comes in to cover the 20% that Medicare B is not going to pay. And some of the things that I, that I inform the patients are, before you make that choice, go see your doctor and ask your doctor, tell me about the amount of money that I'm going to spend with my drugs, the kind of medications that you foresee me using in the future, how much they're going to cost, so that you can kind of gauge if the cost of the supplemental plan is actually worth it. Because what a lot of people don't realize is if you go to see a physician with traditional Medicare, right? And this physician has made a contract with the government that he's gonna have a set fee on how much he's gonna charge. So I could charge three to $400 for an office visit, but if Medicare only allows that that office visit pay $120, I'm only gonna receive $120. And of that $120, 20% of that is going to going to be your portion that you need to pay. So we're really looking at about 30 or 40 dollars. So a lot of patients that have traditional Medicare are paying three, four, five hundred dollars on supplements. And what they don't understand is that their doctors are only receiving 30 or 35 dollars from their plan. And if they go to the hospital with a catastrophic problem, the coverage that they're going to get is not through the supplemental program, but through the Medicare Part A, which normally covers 100% in the hospital. So getting informed is very important, but the only people really talking about information as far as Medicare are these plans that are out there to profit. To profit, right. So if you are, and you're, and this is so informative, so if someone wanted to get straight facts, actual information besides listening to you or replay this over and over, where can they go to get that? You know, I think going to Medicare. Uh, there's a 1-800 uh, number to Medicare and calling them up and asking them, just point blank, what hospitals can I go to? You know, what's covered? What's not covered? How much do you pay? What are the physician fee schedules? And all of this stuff is actually online now, which is really fabulous if you do a little bit of research. But what's confusing is these companies that are private institutions that are there for profit stop bombarding people as yes. early as age of 55, letting them know, hey, you want to come here? You want to sign up with me? We're going to cover it. It's all going to be done and before you know it you know these older people which are a lot of them on fixed incomes are overinsured multiple times and and sometimes being overinsured can actually be dangerous because uh, sometimes where you, when you go in to see the physician and you have all this insurance uh, the physician will then decide well let's go ahead and do this test and do that test because we can not because we need it not because it's indicated but just because you know we we want to make sure that we cover all all corners and we want to make a little profit and so you have to be really careful sometimes insurance is a bad thing I can give you examples you know I worked in the emergency room through my transition period when I went from my residency program to private practice and I very I very vividly remember a gentleman that came in and he had a kidney stone I could tell because he was moving and shaking he was in so much pain and uh, and it took about 30 minutes to get him registered in the emergency room but there was a gentleman that just walked inside and he actually had a sinus infection just a little bit of a runny nose a little sniffling and he had no insurance and he was seen immediately in the emergency room now again 
that's really not the way it should work. But well, it, he was seen because he was fully Medicare. He was Medicare traditional. No, no, the, he the was gentleman seen was seen in the emergency room very quickly because he did not have insurance, and the gentleman that okay. had insurance had to spend thirty to forty-five minutes getting approved by his insurance company to be seen in the emergency room. Okay. So sometimes having too much insurance can actually be. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yep. I get yeah. That. Okay, so is it, what about, we only have like one minute here, but what about Obamacare caused Medicare Advantage and other yes. things to explode? Absolutely. So the, the cost has skyrocketed. I'll give you an example. Let's say that you were going to go see your cardiologist. You wanted to have a stress test. That stress test would uh, normally through insurance cost you about $1,800, maybe $1,900. But right now, uh, because of the fact that Obamacare has caused so many problems, I can pull away from the insurance nightmare, contact the cardiologist, and he'll get. Uh, I can get a stress test done for $175 for a patient of mine that's not under Obamacare. A lot of people can't afford Obamacare. It's absolutely unaffordable. It was supposed to be the Affordable Care Act, you were supposed to keep your doctor, and none of that became true. And so people are walking around now with cards that say that they have insurance, but in reality, they are not covered with insurance. And if they do go to some of these clinics that claim to take Obamacare, what happens is they walk in and they never see a full physician. Now yeah. we've used the word pro provider. What does a provider mean? Well, a provider used to mean a full-fledged doctor, medical school, residency program, but now they put in people that are fillers, people that have limited amount of experience, but walk around with white coats and stethoscopes and impersonate yeah. physicians. And so a lot of our people don't know what a uh, provider is or what an ancillary helper is and the initial thought process of these people were going to help the doctor but what's really actually happened is these people are being used to make more money for the physicians in the sense that they are now running clinics unsupervised by themselves and seeing patients who think you're my doctor because you wear a white coat and you have yeah. a stethoscope. Very, very dangerous. I think that the proof is in the pudding. We've seen the decline and the morbidity and mortality in this in this country. It's never been seen before, but in the last 40 years, it's always increased lifespan. And now we've seen for the last two consecutive years, a decrease. I think it's completely correlated with Obamacare. It must be completely repealed. We have to get rid of it completely. Thankfully now, we don't have to have the individual mandate so that you have to have insurance. And a lot of people are walking away from insurance companies that steal their money with very high premiums and going towards health insurance uh, like... Uh, Co-op? Uh, no, it's it's like, a, it's like a bank account. It's a health savings account yes. where you can put money in and you can use it and you control your money. And so there's nobody that's going to be wiser with your money than yours. Always talk to your physician. Um, have him guide you. I love that. You know, I had a clip ready, but we're out of time for today. I was going to play the clip by, no, no, you were wonderful, uh, that uh, Senator Warren had, she was kind of trapped at the last Democrat presidential debate where she was asked, how exactly are you going to pay for Medicare for all without raising taxes? And she went off in her talking points, I'm going to stand up for the little guy and, and rich people are going to pay more. And she didn't answer, which one of the other, I don't know, one of the other people on stage said, she never answered the question. But that'd be for another day because I really feel like we're just at a point. We all hope when we have the Republican majority back in 2016 that Obamacare be repealed, and it was not. But that's on our to-do list, I hope, in President Trump's second term. Yvette, thank you so much for You're coming welcome. in. Thank you so thank much. You. And now, our friends, I want to turn, as I always do at the end of the show, to talk to you about why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So to start with, why we had... The uh, quid pro quo is not impeachable. I really want to get this. Do not go along with a left-wing media Democrat mob narrative. Narrative framing is a tactic to be detected and rejected. It typically omits and distorts truth. A quid pro quo is something obtained in return for something given. Every foreign aid package, like every giveaway of American taxpayer money, has or should have conditions or quid pro quos attached to it. Conditioning Ukraine aid on cooperation getting to the bottom of obvious corruption by Obama and Biden, clues are on the video, is in America's interest. It is not unreasonable, illegal, or even remotely impeachable. Impeachment by a whistleblower over quid pro quo is phony narrative framing. It's hoax number two, Russia being hoax number one. And then we had uh, impeachment lynching rolls on. It's amazing that they, the Democrats do this with a, you know, just look straight in the camera and do these things. Representative Adam Schiff, Democrat chair of the House Intelligence Committee, continues his impeachment inquiry behind closed doors. And according to Steve Scalise, House Minority Whip told witnesses not to answer questions asked by GOP members 
Only Democrats can ask witnesses questions. That sounds fair. Resolution released by Nancy Pelosi, I think today, moving forward to a vote tomorrow on this impeachment inquiry, denies Republicans subpoena power, unlike the proceedings in the Clinton and Nixon impeachment proceedings. Senators Graham and McConnell, kind of a mixed bag. The U.S. Senate is controlled by the GOP and ought to support Trump. Majority Leader McConnell willing to condemn the House process, but not the substance. Impeachment is whatever the House says it is. Not okay for him to say. Senator Lindsey Graham forcing the Senate to at least condemn the House lynching process publicly stated President Trump has done nothing wrong. GOP senators are showing their true colors and their bravery index. They're showing whether they see this railroading of President Trump. On polls of the impeachment, impeachment bad, America first good, impeachment railroading is not playing well on Main Street, and Pelosi knows it. America loves the America first agenda. Tomorrow's purported House package of an impeachment-related resolution is not House approval of the formal impeachment proceeding. It's deliberately designed via legal sophistry to allow for con- conflicting interpretations so as to enable the mainstream media to run with the lie of a new seriousness in the process. The mainstream media may keep pushing the story, but only has the power we give them. Alternative media, like America Can We Talk, is vital to put the truth out there. And Representative Ilhan Omar refusing to condemn the Armenian genocide. These are simple realities. The Armenian genocide, 1.5 million people killed between 1915 and 1923, was an act of Islamic Jihad. Representative Ilhan Omar wouldn't support a U.S. House resolution condemning this genocide. Folks are not really two sides to this issue. And I hope the Minnesota voters are listening, and I hope that Americans are awake. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Please tune in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to listen to America Can We Talk. I urge you to share this show, whether you're listening on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook. Share the show. Tell your friends. Like these pages. Subscribe. Help this show grow. Because all I do every day, why I come here every day to talk to you, is to speak up for the extraordinary, unique greatness of America. I come here because America matters. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Can we talk truth about America? Can you-